Podcast One Production. Hi, I'm Christopher Pine, and welcome to Pine Time. For years, I've been on the receiving end of a barrage of questions, some would say abuse, from the media and other politicians. But I've tried to keep it together, and hopefully, I've had a successful career in politics. But now I'm out of the game, and I'm risking it all to step out of my comfort zone and embrace a new world of media, to turn the tables on my guests so you can hear for the first time stories that you've never heard before as they succumb to what some people are kindly describing as the Pine Effect. My guest today is Anthony Albanese. Thank you for joining us on Pine Time. Good morning, Christopher. Welcome to Sydney. It's nice to be here. It's nice that I can pronounce your name, though. <laughs> it is indeed. We had once a, a whole session on uh, Q&A. On your name. On, on my name of uh, with Tony Jones. It's weird, though, isn't it? Because I pronounced your name correctly. No one says uh, spaghetti bolognese, do they? But I do. You do. Well, you do. But, but you're, you know, not. Not average Australian. <laughs> no, I'm from Adelaide and we're a bit Renaissance. Indeed. In Indeed, a very sophisticated city. But people tried to insist that I stop pronouncing your name correctly. They kept saying his name's pronounced Albanese. I said, I, no, it isn't. I had it raised with me many times. <laughs> Can you tell Christopher Pine to pronounce your name correctly? And I would say, well, he does. <laughs> He's the only one. <laughs> he does. He's the only one who does. And... The same thing happened with the senator from Western Australia, the the Clive Palmer senator. His name was Wong. Remember? It was Senator David Wong? Or... Yeah. Anyway, I pronounced his name correctly too because I think it's important. And Lee Sales insisted that I was being kind of you know, dubiously on the racist side because I was calling him Wong because everyone was calling him yes. Wang, right? Yeah. I said, actually, that's the correct pronunciation. <laughs> and they insisted I was dog whistling, basically, and I thought, this is appalling, and I'm actually announcing, pronouncing his name correctly, and I'm being accused of being a racist. Terrible. Yeah. Poor Christopher. But Just one of the times you were maligned. She went to so much trouble, she got him on the, so- on the 7th <laughs> airport and asked him, <laughs> and he said, Christopher's actually the only person who pronounces it correctly. Well, that wasn't I, actually going to be the I, first thing I asked you, but it's kind of got kind of on a tangent now. I never bothered to learn the pronunciation or indeed even the names of any of the Clive Palmer team because they weren't there for long enough. <laughs> I wanted their vote for the university reforms. Well, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> Twice. Twice it crashed and burned. Absolutely. That was a fiasco. Do you remember I had the, that was the terrible interview with David Spears when I said. I fixed it. I fixed it. <laughs> What have you done? About the national... It's fixed. It's the National Collaborative Research Infrastructure Scheme. And it still NCRIS. hasn't been fixed. It's, it's still... Look, I fixed the NCRIS. I gave them the money. That was the whole point of the bloody interview. <laughs> Higher ed is still a mess. That was such a terrible You got interview. out at just the right time, Christopher. I smashed that interview completely. And I knew it was a disaster, <laughs> but I had a gutful. And then we had to, as a result, go on the Today Show... And fix a oh, bloody right. tyre. We did. We on had to car. change the tyre because <laughs> people didn't think I could. Do you remember? I, I do. And you, you could. They think I'm you some could. kind of, you know, private school, eastern suburbs boy from Adelaide. Hopeless as an education minister, but he could fix a tyre. And you know, they tried to trick me because they had let the tyre down and hadn't put it up high enough. Did you realise that? No, I, I, I said I, I was too busy. You've taken um, me sledging back. you. You were sledging me. <laughs> you were standing above me, sledging me at what half past five in the morning or something. Something God ridiculous. Time. It was still dark. It was still dark, and we were trying to fix that bloody tire. And, and we didn't have any did warning. Though. That's the other thing. No, and they did it on purpose. People assume that some of those things were choreographed, no. but the, but they never were. We did that for years. Bad, Carl. Was that seven years? It was, it was too long, I know that. We were too good. You had to leave Parliament to get off the show and I had to become leader. <laughs> we had different, sure which is worse. different paths with the same objective, I'm getting sure. off the Today we Show early on a Friday morning. Because it was every Thursday night I'd come to Sydney for that show, which I didn't really mind, but the family didn't love it. 
And then we had to get up at four o'clock in the morning or something shocking. It was pretty early. But it was... Um, Put on our it was makeup. Good. But I still get, as I go around the country, I'm sure you do too, people saying, oh, I loved you on the Today I Show. I they did. They loved us. Why aren't you coming back? We used to see Dickie Wilkins without his makeup on. Well, we're one of the very few people. <laughs> Indeed. And I must say, it's very much early. better with the makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very early. I think we were all. Oh, no, no one looked good at that time of the day. No. Actually, Lisa Wilkinson and Carl, of course, because Carl caked on the makeup. Well, they were there, you know, overnight. They used to just <laughs> sleep in their makeup. We did lots of those things, though. We did the Today Show, we did two tribes on 5AA. We did, that was fun. We did and, 6PR. And, and, and once you left Parliament, the uh, one tribe. The Will and, and Pembo <laughs> changed it to One Tribe. It doesn't and, work. And I had to pick a song with a theme of one. So we did U2 and we did a whole lot of- Are you still of, doing um, that? No. I, I still do them pretty regularly um, and we still call it One Tribe when I do, but it's not, it, it's not weekly. We did 2UE as well with a couple. I got boned by them. In, do you remember that? You forgot that. Was, that. Um, that was brief. Ben Fordham. Ben for 2GB it was. Oh, 2GB. 2GB yeah, right. in the afternoon. And we got boned for Tony Abbott. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we did. Because so that he we could did. attack Malcolm Turnbull. I know. That's that Every was, week. That, that was that's, very rude. That's basically what happened. Pine Time is doing very well. You'll be surprised to hear. <laughs> I'm I, I'm surprised that you um I'm surprised to hear you say that, Christopher. You're normally so shy in in self promotion. It's true. Oh yes, coming from you. My goodness. <laughs> Do you remember? Your, I remember the first speech that I ever noticed of yours, which was you delivered this scarifying speech about John Howard. <laughs> You, you would have enjoyed it probably. I didn't. No, I was a very loyal member of the government and I was sitting in the chamber thinking, gosh, that guy's really going hard at poor old Prime Minister. You were vicious. That's when you were in the hard left. <laughs> well, I got, a, I got elected, of course, when, when we went out. I had a bad sense of timing. 2nd of March, 1996. Oh, I was 13th of March, 1993. But you were in Parliament. Yeah, you were in Parliament three, three years, years before me right. and you are younger. So I was more mature when I got in there, you see. You didn't show it in that but, speech. But still pretty young. No, no, well, that was, uh, I remember um, Kim Beasley gave a speech in the caucus when uh, Paul Keating stood down. It was the one caucus that, that Paul went to right. after the election. And uh, Beasley gave a speech about how everyone was going to be constructive I had a chat with him afterwards. He called me aside. This is Beasley. Beasley, and yeah. I thought, oh, this is good. You know, I'm at my first caucus meeting and the leader wants to speak to me. And he said, now, I want you, all that stuff about being constructive. Forget it. That's not you. I want you to go hard. Mm, well, you did. And I did. And um, I'm not sure that John Howard ever forgave me for uh, there were two speeches. You know, you gave another speech. Part one and part two in the grievance debate about John Howard. But the that, first one was the one that I noticed. I didn't, don't think I saw the second one, but I heard about the second one. The second one was the one that upset the Prime Minister. But I remember thinking, um, I'm going to have to watch this fellow. Well, the Prime <laughs> He's Minister. He's dangerous. I, I know. <laughs> He's a danger man. I, I'm a good friend, but a bad enemy, perhaps. But he. Um, John Howard raised it in the party room. He did. And, of course, that just encouraged me. Of course. Because you, I was a, You were making your mark. I was a new backbencher and I'd, I'd been noticed. Yes, you the, were noticed. By the other side, so. Back then, in 1996, when you were giving these scarifying speeches and you were in the hard left and you used to say that you got elected to fight Tories and beat Tories, which I always think was terribly funny, because we're not really Tories, you know, I'm a Liberal. Of course you are. But you're not... You, <laughs> what do you mean? You're a Liberal, but the modern Liberal Party has nothing <laughs> in common or very little in common with smaller liberalism. That's rubbish. What about Malcolm Turnbull That's and why... me and Julie Bishop and George yeah, yeah, Brandis? Yeah, and you're and all gone! Maurice Payne and Simon Birmingham. Well, she's and... still there, but no one's noticed. There's so lots Simon, of smaller Liberals there. All, all the rest, all the first four names you rattled off We're the intellectual ballast. Are all gone. You're, you're now outside in oh, exile. No, no. We're, still, we're still there. You're in exile. We're still there supporting the party. Doing our bit. Anyway, back in 96. The, the Tory party. <laughs> when, the, when you were giving these scarifying speeches 
which used to always make me laugh a lot because she was sort of <laughs> giving, giving my team such a hard time. I just think he's very funny, actually, because we don't really care in the Liberal Party about what you know, the hard left says about us. We're a bit kind of, you know, disinterested. <laughs> but I know that it was good for your side. They loved it. Did you think you might end up being the leader of the opposition? No. <laughs> no. I think you probably thought you might end up being the deputy very, prime minister, which simple. you have been the deputy prime minister. What what I was for a day or something interested? No, for for longer than you got to be <laughs> deputy prime minister, Christopher. That's true. Was <laughs> so, it what three months? It was it was a a, a grand period. It was uh, the golden age? A golden, of, a golden, golden age, age of deputy prime ministership. That's what I used Have to call. Have a look call at what's happened afterwards. When I was the minister for aging, which you probably forgotten. In the Howard government for nine months, I always described that period as the golden age of the Howard government <laughs> to audiences. Um, yeah, so that was, you'd be, I, I thought you thought you'd end up being the deputy prime minister. Well, I was from the New South Wales left of the party, which was very much the minority group in New South Wales and minority group nationally. So I never thought of what positions I might hold. That's not why I went into politics. I thought I might be, you know, one day a minister would be good. I was actually, if you had have asked me what I wanted to do at that time, it would have been housing and local government minister right. or environment minister. Right. And to make a difference and but it wasn't due to any, you know, I, I, I don't have the destiny thing. I'm not one of those people who someone will go back <laughs> to my year 12 yearbook and say one day I'll be Prime Minister or I'll be leader of the Labor Party. That's not what motivated me Have you read my all. book, The Insider? Uh, no. For goodness sake, what about what? You've just I looked at the me. index. You've completely... <laughs> Dropped me since I, I left. I'm politics. a bit busy these days. What are you doing? I looked at the index. I've what looked at the doing? references to me as You're you in do. A bit. You're in it. I had an index. I thought it's important to have an index. You basically cut me dead since you left. I left well, I haven't seen you. You've been in. You haven't read my you've book. You've been in ISO. Of course, I haven't read your because book. Because in my Why book. Why would I read your book? I was there. Because in my book. I don't book, need to read the book. I, I know I, how it ends. I wanted to be the Pope. You wanted to be the Pope? <laughs> when I was at school. I wanted to be the Pope. And then the <laughs> Father Mullen said, "You can't be, <laughs> you can't be a Jesuit and the Pope," which we now know is not true because, of course, Francis absolutely. Is a Jesuit. So the world's been denied my papacy. <laughs> Your papacy. Anyway, wouldn't that have been interesting? I wanted to be the Pope, and I thought this is the plan. I've got a plan because I like to have a plan from parish priest to Pope. <laughs> <laughs> this is about year nine or something. Father Mullen said, "Can't be done." So I dropped it instantaneously. He said, Jesuits can't be cardinals. He can't be the Pope. So I thought, well, if I can't be the Pope, I'll have to be the Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, obviously I didn't make it. My, my mother used to say that she wanted me to be one of three Ps, she thought. The Pope? A priest. Oh. We were from much more humble beginnings than yourself, Christopher. You could have been the Marrickville a, pub, a uh, priest. priest. Yes, a, a politician. Or a printer, because my printer. my grandfather was a printer and had a printing business right. in William Street. Right. And uh, that was part of my connection with the Labor Party. Right. Was that my grandfather used to do all the printing for Pat Hills and for various uh, local ALP identities. So um, you've got a log cabin story. Was though, right? in the party. Uh, I, I do. but Which, I, is, which I, is one of the things I've always liked about you is that, you know, you're very genuine about everything to do with your life, with your whole background. Right? Um, well, it, it, it is what it is and you, you, you have to embrace it and I, I do think that... And that I've embraced mine, right? You have. Your, your, your best ever. It, it is the best valedictory that I have heard and uh, the killer line of, you know, I, I, I once had to get my own lemon for a G&T was... <laughs> <laughs> was superb. Thank you. It was that was the spontaneous bit. It's funny. I, I don't know what you think, but I sometimes people say to me, "Oh, that was a great line." And usually in Parliament, the best lines weren't practiced or thought of or given to you. They just came out. Because you know, as you can imagine, because we both love the chamber, we love the Parliament, we love the debate. You and I, yeah. which is one of the reasons I think we became good friends. Weirdly, we'll get to that. 
I knew I couldn't give a valedictory speech. I knew I'd never get through it, right? So yeah. I just thought I'm going to have to write it out because, like you, I don't really give prepared speeches. I give, yep. you know, from notes or um, extemporaneously. But I thought I'm never going to get through this. I'm going to have to have something to cling to if it's yeah, all sure. going pear-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> so I practised it over and over and over again. I cried the first few times the whole way through. Yeah. And Hannah March said, um, maybe we should take the bits out that upset you. I said, it's the whole bloody speech. I can't do that. Anyway, by the time I got to it, it went quite well, right? So I was doing quite well. I'm thinking this is all right. So I threw that line in about the, the G&T because, and that was the spontaneous, that wasn't in the script. It was a cracker. But like, I think it's important to embrace the real politician, right? And the worst thing about so many politicians is they think they have to create this kind of, you know, mythical image so that the public, you know, embrace them. Actually, the public likes genuine people to be politicians. So there was no point in me pretending that, you no. know, I came up from the, the, the bootstraps, you know, public housing in Holden Hill or something in my electorate. I mean, that's your story. My story is completely different. But you know, I would say, but I'm in politics, not unlike Anthony, because I want to actually help people improve their situation because I've had such many opportunities. Sure. And so the public would think, oh, yeah, we get that. We, we kind of understand who he is. And it's worse for politicians who try and pretend to be something that they're not in their like, lives. Like Scotty pretending he likes rugby league. That's rubbish. He loves rugby league. <laughs> He never went to a game till he moved into Cook. Better than um, Bob Carr used to take a book on the American Civil oh. War to the rugby. Oh, Bob Carr. And read it. Bob Carr hated rugby league. <laughs> hated it. I brought him. Um, I do love AFL, actually. I, I'm a, you do. Mm. I'm a good friend of Bob's um, and I worked for him for a short period of time. You did too. I remember when South Sydney got back into the competition. Um, the Rabbitohs. The Rabbitohs, and we'd been kicked out for a couple of years, and it was a great story. And Simon Cream was the Labor leader. He came up to, from Melbourne for the game. Uh, Alan Jones was emceeing the function. It was a big, big deal. And Bob Carr didn't stay till full time on this, no, on this historic big day. thing. <laughs> and that was just Bob. Uh, he wrote that uh, funny book. It's just the way it was. Do you know, I was on... FM radio one morning, you know how they always ask you questions that you don't expect, and they said, who do you back for in the Premier League, I think it's called, in, the, in Britain? Yep. Is it called the Premier League? Premier League. I said, the Tottenham Hotspurs. <laughs> they said, really? I said, oh, yes, I'm a big Spurs fan. <laughs> My children said to me, like when I got home from work that day, we didn't know you followed the Premier League, Dad. I said, I've got no idea what it is. <laughs> I said, but you said you followed the Spurs. I said, it's the only team I've ever heard of. <laughs> I said, what about Manchester United and Manchester City and, you know, that one with the cannon? What are they called? Arsenal. 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 The Gunners. And I said, but I had this image of the cockerel, the blue cockerel. Yes. And I thought, what is that? That Spurs one, the Tottenham <laughs> Hotspurs. Just, I had to make it up. And then I had to become a Tottenham Hotspurs fan, right? <laughs> because out, got the jersey. Publicly, everyone thought I was really keen soccer fan. That's <laughs> terribly funny. I didn't have any idea. Yeah, they're, no, top, they're top of the table, Spurs. It, did you know that? It, uh, I did. Did you see? How would you know that? I did. Chelsea are coming second. People care about I, this Premier I, League, I, don't I, they? I follow sport. I with AFLs. One of the things people will say to to me, they get a shock if you know anything about AFL, but I've, I've always, if you're from Sydney, they just. See, I like AFL. They, they assume, so do I, mm -hmm. but you, you, they assume that, you know, you've just adopted a team or what have you. I have this spiel whereby when they say to me, you know, I, I make sure I wear, I'm a Hawthorne fan. For better or worse, which I which I get bagged for exactly, <laughs> exactly. They're not exactly a sort of working class part and of Melbourne. Upper crust but I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. The colours. I was a little kid, and if you're a South Sydney supporter, you couldn't follow any team that clashed. So, like oh. Carlton are the same colours as Newtown, right. Collingwood Magpies, Western Suburbs Magpies, Richmond Tigers, Balmain Tigers, etc. So the only team that didn't 
clash was, was Hawthorne. Hawthorne, the Hawks, right. because who would pick brown and gold as your colours? Seriously. <laughs> interesting Seriously. So, so It works for them, though. And, and, you know, I drove down, so people will say to me, oh, you know, so you've adopted AFL. And I go, no, no, no. I drove down for my first grand final. It was the 89 grand final. Right. Hawks versus Geelong. Gary Ablett kicked nine, won the Norm Smith in a losing side, and they go, oh. I remember that. And then I was, you know, went to the the only grand final at Waverley where we beat West Coast Eagles. Your mate Bill adopted Collingwood. We used to tease him about, I used to tease him about that. You did. You were very mean. I used to tease a lot of your people. You, you did. <laughs> Do you remember when? But you got it back. Poor, oh, I did. Tanya, Tanya Plibersek, who I actually liked very much, by the way, she she had a slip of the tongue on Sky when she referred to Africa as a country. Yeah. And I never let her forget it. I used to sort of tease her mercilessly. So they, what are they speaking? What language are they speaking in Africa again? Is it Esper- Esperanto? Tony, what's the capital of Africa? She Every, used to ignore me studiously. She did. She did. She did. We, we, we all tried to ignore you from time to yeah. time. We did quite have a little bit you of You were fun quite hard to ignore, though. <laughs> That's right. I've got to be said. So there's lots of funny things that happened in the... Um, the chamber when we were there together in the 43rd Palmer. But one of the funniest, if you might remember, was when you presented the sitting schedule for the rest <laughs> yes. of the year. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. And uh, I, was, <laughs> I was the manager of opposition business. <laughs> for some reason, we decided to oppose it because, you know, in the Abbott opposition. Because you were like that. You opposed, we opposed everything. everything. We opposed no, everything. No, 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 no. People say, why are we opposing this? I said, don't be ridiculous. I said, we oppose everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> I said, we're opposing the sitting schedule. <laughs> Give a speech about it. And I said to Bronwyn Bishop, do you remember, could you, come, <laughs> right. could you come in and speak on this with me? Because for some reason I'm speaking against the sitting schedule. So I gave a speech which was, you know, adequate. And then she gave a speech about how we were sitting on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting right behind her on the dispatch box. So I was on a television camera. And you were on the other side, and I started moving along. <laughs> out of you. Along the bench, out of you, because she was railing against the Labor government <laughs> for making us sit on Christmas Eve. I'm thinking, <laughs> what on earth is she talking about? <laughs> I'm looking at the schedule, and she's got the months, the grey faded out months around the wrong way, the, the weeks the around the wrong way. <laughs> she had December confused with, with November. November. It was just bizarre. I never told her. She um, she gave the speech and she left the chamber and, and you and, and I, I monstered her. You and I were a bit stupefied by the whole experience, her. and I never told him. I, I think she I might like have. Bronwyn. I think she might have seen my uh, my response. Bronwyn's <laughs> quite fond of you, actually. But there is a bit of a team in the chamber of people who like debate, right? And who like the parliament. And so they actually do have a. I mean, the reason why you and I sort of became mates was because we often found ourselves in this chamber. Fighting with each other. And and the parliament is really important. That's how is. laws are made. It, it always, for new people coming in, I tell them and still do, read the standing orders. Totally. They don't. Practice. But they don't. Learn the way that laws are made. There are so many um, ministers uh, who, who don't know what a second reading, third reading, all of that process. And a couple of clangers in me over the years. We had. Remember that minister who voted for your second reading <laughs> amendment? Indeed. And it never happened in the Federation. Indeed. Oh, they'll remain nameless, but that was a bit of a disaster. Hey, well, recently. I was sitting here watching the chamber thinking, I wonder why that minister is supporting the Labor Party's <laughs> second reading amendment, which obliterates the bill. Yes. Obliterates the bill. And then they voted for it. And it went through. And it went through. Yeah. And we had to recommit the goddamn yes, bill. because it had been killed. Because it had been killed. By yourself. By our own government. <laughs> <laughs> what well, the hell's going on in there? But I used to say, I used to say to people, I actually do know one member of Parliament who gave the same speech on two different bills because as they rushed out of their office, they just grabbed the speech that they thought was the bill and gave exactly, and didn't realise at any point that they were giving the same speech they'd already given. But, you know, they stopped naming people when they created the sin bin and then where you could get chucked out for an hour. For an hour. And you held the record for the most I times being expelled until I replaced you. You broke it. And now Nick mm. Champion has. Now Nick Champion has. Exceeded you by. Used to be Tucky. A considerable period. Because Tucky Albanese Pine Champion. 
How trigger happy was Bronwyn when she was in she the was chair? Good. She was great. She was a good speaker. She was a very good speaker for the Labor Party. I liked Bronwyn as the speaker. She helped. I, I wonder if uh, that was my idea. <laughs> To, to undermine her, Tony no, Abbott. To make, no, not, of course not, but to make her speaker. She didn't help your side. She was a bit of fun, though. Government, she, well, that was one word for it. <laughs> but government fun. is helped by having a, a calm competent, palm, that's calm speaker in charge who has authority. And Bronwyn, Bronwyn used to actually sledge from the chair. That's rubbish. <laughs> She would never have done that. She just used to. She just couldn't. She did startle me every now herself. and then by saying something that I was surprised about. <laughs> and I'd think, oh, well, she's got a bit of style about her. <laughs> she did. It was she, bad luck. She was a character. She is a character, and she was a character, no doubt about it. But the thing about the chamber that people don't understand, Anthony, is it's such a pressure reliever. You know, when there's when the house is, I mean, it's a pretty toxic building, kind of from a professional point of view, as we both know. So the chamber is good because it really does relieve that pressure, which people don't understand, and all that theatre and being thrown out and expressing all this outrage and you know, giving a scarifying speech about some terrible canard actually just relieves a lot of the pressure in the, yeah, in the I, place. I think Parliament uh, has been downgraded somewhat under the current administration, not... COVID hasn't helped. ...trying to not be uh, a, a partisan comment, but... Scott Morrison clearly has made a decision that no one from the opposition will be allowed to speak to any motion. And what that's done, what what that ignores is the fact that it's actually a healthy part of democracy. I I used to allow, as Leader of the House, we'd take motions, as did you, Mm. as did Tony Abbott previously under John Howard. We would have debates. You agree to be two or three aside, and it allows you to actually... I think it's a mistake for the government because it allows things to be vented and to then be able to move on. Yes. And the government always has the numbers. Of course. So and It's actually good practice too for ministers to, to be able to stand up and argue absolutely. their case so that they actually can gather their thoughts about a particular issue, whether it's controversial or not. It actually helps them. I used to find it quite helpful because it meant that I stayed in touch with all the various different issues as manager of opposition business or yeah. leader of the House. I think I pushed the boat out a bit in the 43rd Parliament. But I always thought it was a good idea to let the opposition have a s- suspension of standing orders every now and then. Of course. Because it made them a lot more relaxed as well because they'd get, they'd get it all off their chest and tell, tell the world how bad the government is, as if anybody's listening, and then... They'd think, right, we've done that. We've really shown them. <laughs> I thought that's good. Now, 43rd Parliament, worst three years, I think, in the Parliament's history. <laughs> I accept uh, that. We got things done. And you and I became quite good friends in that time. We did. We'd sort of known each other sort of you know, around the periphery of, the, of politics. But you being leader of the House, and this is something people don't really understand, you being leader of the House, me being manager opposition business, our job was obviously to try and ruin each other's day every day. Um, your, yours was actually just to get on with being government. Mine was to ruin your day because I was the opposition. Um, and people often say, you know, why can't the opposition be more constructive? I think, what? We're supposed to be the opposition. You know, we've got to hold them to account, which is, of course, one of Malcolm's problems. He always was being helpful to the government about improving your legislation when it was wrong and things like that. I said, I don't think that's a good idea, Malcolm. We should let them make their own mistakes. Never get in the way of your opposition when they're making mistakes. Anyway, that was his style. He got to be PM. I didn't say so he must be smart. <laughs> but in that 43rd Parliament, of course, you didn't have the numbers. It was the illegitimate Gillard government. We, it was a tough parliament. And we had, towards the end there, we had 70 votes out of 150. And you need to get to 75 uh, plus the speaker. Plus the speaker, of course. Yeah. Uh, so we had uh, a circumstance whereby any time there was a vote, I would hope all of our side were there and you'd count one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, no, I did the same. To check that you were there. And the the cross benches were a very diverse group. Getting Adam Bant and Bob Catter to vote the same way on issues is is not a natural thing. 
Bob's a bit of a socialist. But we won't. He, <laughs> he is on some things, <laughs> on things like trade unions. Oh, he's and a very good those friend issues. of mine. The only argument I ever had with Bob in the chamber was his speech on same sex marriage. And I went up to him and said, You can't say those things, Bob. And he got very upset with me. I said, No, you just can't. You know, you've really overstepped the line. But otherwise, you know, I've always found him to be a very decent character. Well, you can have different views from people and uh, still have relationships yes. and our relationship's an example of that. So the 43rd Parliament wasn't just bad, though, because of um, the nature of it being a minority government. It was also, there were some really toxic issues. And we had to manage quite a lot of very vulnerable people, actually. And Sure. It was... Uh, people often forget when they see the argy-bargy of politics that, that we're dealing with human beings. Mm. That's right. Um, and, I was quite worried in that 43rd part. Oh, and there were, was reason to be mm. on, uh, on a couple of occasions about mm. uh, the health of people. And uh, you and I were, were both in the parliament when uh, a member, Greg Wilton, uh, right. took his own life. That was horrible. And that was uh, the circumstances around that were just tragic. Mm. And uh, I was I was certainly always conscious of the responsibility that I had, and, and I know from time to time we would chat about people's health mm. and, uh, and and issues, and just try to to deal with it. But it was it was an unfortunate period, and and I know your view about opposition, but I do think that the way that Tony Abbott played it, one of the the things that I say, I don't want to be partisan on pine time. No. But but <laughs> I think that how you behave in opposition will impact on what sort of government you are as well. So I'm very consciously saying I'm trying to be constructive, particularly during COVID. I think people wanted mm. more bipartisanship and we've tried to be so in in the context in which we're dealing with things. But that parliament was... I think very difficult for a whole lot of people really, mm. really hated it. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I think there were often times, well, often might be an overstatement, there were times when you people don't realise that you and I would actually catch up for a, a drink uh, and have a chat about how to manage, you know, the argy-bargy on the one hand, which is part of the cut and thrust, with, you know, the fact that we were dealing with people's lives there was a lot of um, moments when I thought, you know, gosh, you know, we've got to really keep this under control because it could get quite out of hand. Yeah. And uh, there were times when I was asked to do things that I just refused to do. And I think you were in the same boat, actually, because the relationships were quite toxic between leaders and prime ministers and officers, prime ministers, officers and leaders, officers, and you and I were the ones really the only people who could really talk to each other sometimes to say, hang on, you know, I think we're going to go this far, but we're not going to go over the edge. Well, I think if you look at uh, what's happened in the United States in recent times too, I I think politics is a noble profession. Mm. It's honourable. It's one of the reasons why you and I could talk about the parliament and do it in a way that was respectful in terms of respect for the institution and, and all of that because democracy is important and, you know, it's uh, it's not perfect but it's the best system that we have and if it's undermined, uh, then that's a real problem. So I think we have a responsibility uh, to take democracy seriously and to one of the ways in which we do that as well is by engaging respectfully People will say, no doubt, why did you do pine time? Why did <laughs> yes. you do? And and that sort of attitude is something that I've always tried to mm. to break away from. Yeah, no, that. but you and I have had that conversation before about our own side saying, why do you like Anthony Albanese or why do you like Christopher Pine? And, it's, and I've always thought, well, because he's quite a good bloke actually. I yeah. mean, I'm not going to vote for him. That's right. <laughs> I don't want him to be the Prime Minister. Um, but that doesn't mean I think he's, you know, some kind of wicked, evil creature that needs to be eliminated. It's just sort of nonsense. Yeah, no, and it, I, I think a, a vast majority of the Australian people are there. Uh, 
they mm. certainly one of the things I've had. Oh, but people love the fact that you and I would do all those media things together. Absolutely, and they'd be quite surprised. And it worked because <laughs> it wasn't. It was never nasty. It wasn't either. forced, and it was real. And we'd have a crack at each other and, mm-hmm. and put our respective views, but not do it in a way that that you know was nasty. And that that's why it worked. I was a bit surprised on the Today Show though when I when we were talking about the leadership challenge in the Liberal Party and I very innocently said, when you said see you next week with a new leader and I innocently said, yes, I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> and that, that, people, was a, that was a moment, Chris. People misunderstood that. They did. And uh, I was quite shocked that people would have those kinds of minds. <laughs> I bet you were, Christopher. Mm-hmm. We took it in our stride. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I raised my bat and let the ball hit the keeper's gloves uh, <laughs> at that particular time, <laughs> for which I think you should be grateful. Oh, yes. No, that was – we had some fun on the Today Show. Do you remember 3 December 2007? Uh, 2 December we were sworn in. Oh, was it? It says in the uh... – in the document, 3 December. So it was 2 December. 2 December. I, I remember that because it was also the uh, date. Get your birthday as well. You can't have two birthdays. No, no, it was the date of the election of the Whitlam Labor government. Oh. So I, I That remember. wasn't as good a day as November 11, <laughs> I 1975. Remember that. Well, that was, of course, a, a trashing of democracy. <laughs> the Australian um, people didn't think so. They endorsed the Fraser government with the biggest victory in the history of Federation. No, it was a, a, a terrible thing. Do you thing. remember what you were doing that day? I do. I was at uh, school, not far from where we are recording this right. podcast, at St Mary's Cathedral, and my history teacher, Vince Crow. Right. Uh, who's now a constituent, uh, right. lives in Haberfield and is a wonderful histor- local historian. My brother lives in Haberfield. He came into the classroom and said, our government has been removed. Good. And, <laughs> Did you say good? And I got into uh, a fight. No, there, 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 were, there were no Liberal voters at St Mary's Cathedral. Uh, they were at St Ignatius School. And I uh, got uh, into trouble when I got home. My mother was worried because I was home late. Right. Because there was so much activity going on. Right. And I headed down with mates. We headed down to, I was, what, 12 years old. Uh, Went we to headed, your first protest. We, headed, we did. We headed down to the stock exchange. There, were, there was all sorts of stuff going on and we were hearing about it and people were running around the city and so I got, I got home and then on later, just a couple of days later, um, our playground when we were allowed to use it was the Domain at Sydney and that was where uh, the first big rally right. uh, got took place and we all just ducked across, skipped class, ducked across. To be part of the uh, rally. To be part of the rally for the Whitlam government maintaining the rage you still and, maintaining uh, the rage? I, I am. Yeah. Shame, Fraser, shame. My memory's quite different. I was seven or eight, eight, I think, and my mother and I were watching Adventure Island on the ABC. Do you remember Adventure Island? I do remember with Adventure Myers Island. With Maya Zamini. And I was watching Adventure Island and Mum was ironing and the news came over. They interrupted the news to say that the Whitlam government had been sacked. And my mother said, everything will be all right now. <laughs> completely See, just she, terrible. She got, she teared up and said, everything will be all right now. We had the, the interesting thing <laughs> about. I was very happy. The, and she said that Mr Hayden will be gone now. She didn't like Mr Hayden. The interesting thing about the old Christian Brothers school was that no one got into trouble. I don't know how many people went to the demo, mm. but a lot of people went to the demo rather than school. And no one asked any questions. I just remember everyone being very happy. Across we went in our school uniform, they're defending democracy. Because in a democracy, people elect and remove governments. Not that day. Exactly. It wasn't democratic. It was constitutional. It it was. I wrote my first legal essay about the dismissal. It was a crime against democracy. (laughs) I wrote my first legal essay about the dismissal in Adelaide Uni and I got 30%. And I went to see the professor. That's more than you should have got. <laughs> I went to see the professor because I never failed anything right except art. 
And I went to see the professor and I said, I'm a bit surprised that I'd got 30%. You can imagine what a terribly precocious child I must have been. Gee, that's, and that's she, surprising. And she said, uh, yes, well, you wrote about the dismissal and you were wrong. I said, but I, I wrote that it was constitutional. She said, well, it's wrong. <laughs> I said, no, it's not wrong. I said, there's lots of constitutional experts that it's right. She said, my strong advice, Christopher, is don't write about political matters in the law school. Gosh, I never did again. I learnt my lesson. <laughs> I wouldn't have given you 30%. I would have given you zero. <laughs> <laughs> would have done. Because you don't care about academic rigour. I, 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 I care about democracy. You just care about protesting. That's all democracy. you were doing at university, running around with your ACDC T-shirt and shouting at people. I, I did do a bit of that at university, but <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I'm welcome back there now. I, I was a student politician. I was always elected. Always. So was I. I know. That's why we're very similar in lots of ways. <laughs> we might not have been in the same lane, though, politically. I was Possibly not. I was the national president of CALPS, it was called, the <laughs> National CALPS Council of, Australia, of ALP Students. I was the president CALPS. of the Young Liberals. We were very sedate. We had good songs in those days, mainly attacking, the far, mainly attacking the far left. Oh, you're attacking the far... I thought you were in the hard left. Oh, you're attacking the trots. Yeah, we're yeah. attacking the trots and the and the Tories, but the, the Tories weren't really that there was a, there, there, was was, a, there weren't many of you. There, there were <laughs> at Adelaide Uni. Do you remember what Henry Kissinger said about student politics? No. He said the only reason it's so hard fought is because it's so irrelevant. That's <laughs> <laughs> true, though, isn't it? People do fight about things that don't matter. You, you, you do learn... Um, Skills and you, oh, yes, you, you pick them up though. I say uh, to all young liberals and the liberal students, you should do student politics because you learn how to get people to do something they don't want to do. Because students don't want to vote in student elections, right? They're all sitting there on the Barsmith lawns having, you know, their tomato and ham sandwich or whatever, and they don't want to have to get up and vote. So you've got to go and get them to vote, and you've got to get them to vote for you. And it's a very important skill. Well, you would have, um, we could have participated in some common interests uh, because one of the groups I was involved with was Students Against Racism. Sure. And National Action were active on campus at that time. Michael Brand up. Uh, responding to uh, the rise of overseas students and, and people of Asian background in particular were being physically attacked. A fellow called James Salim mm. who uh, you know, had... Uh, ended up doing time when uh, they ended up murdering each other here in Sydney and there was an attack on, a shotgun attack on Eddie Fundy, who was the African National Congress leader here. Right. And it was, there were some nasty people on campus. One night we were out there campaigning on an anti-racism issue and, and we got confronted by them. I've never been so glad to see university security arrive <laughs> at that point in time. Well, you would have avoided the police. We were, we were being very brave, uh, but uh, we were thinking, I was just thinking, we're, we're in real trouble here. Mm. That, that were the, the real deal in terms of openly running Nazi stuff against, uh, particularly against Asian students, but also, of course, against Jewish students. Yes. They, were, they were terrible people. It's where I developed my interest in Israel. I've been to Israel 12 times. I was at a um, public meeting during the Keating government for the, remember the Racial Discrimination yep. Act that your government introduced? And uh, there was a public meeting in 1992 when I was the candidate for Sturt. And I turned up and there was, um, I was sitting next to a guy. I got there late and I was sitting next to this guy and every time he stood up to say anything, the National Action people down the back who looked like thugs would shout at him and, you know, and I thought yeah. this is really weird. Anyway, afterwards I met him and he was the rabbi. He was Rabbi yeah. Norris and he had his um, yarmulke on, but I didn't see that when I sat, sat down, but they could see it. Yeah. And uh, I thought, this is ridiculous. It's 1992. Why is this poor you know, Jewish man having to put up with this appalling behaviour? And that's when I thought I'm going to find out more about it. And yeah. I, I went to Israel in 1994 for that very reason, to find out more about it. Well, uh, racism's real. Um, it, it, it's hard for people who've been, I, I was, you know, raised just to consider everyone as being equal and all of that. But 
you know, it's in our recent history, of course, we only recognised First Nations people as citizens in in my lifetime, I think mm. just in your lifetime. 67 perhaps. I was born, so yes. Just. Mm. Um, that's extraordinary to, to mm. think that that's the case. It it's a bit like, I think it was interesting when the marriage equality vote was on, my son and his friends who at the, the time was, you know, in senior high school were all like, what is this about? Why are people voting? Why is this an issue? Why is this an issue? Whereas it was crazy. If you had promoted that, um, but twenty years ago, that would have been. But it was embarrassing. I mean, Ireland managed to get marriage equality before before we did. Right. There were a whole bunch of European and South American Catholic nations (laughs) that had marriage equality before we did. My mother said to me, why are we still arguing about this? Don't we want more people to get married? Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's just crazy. Progress but, does occur. So we have to circle back to December the 2nd, 2007, the day you were sworn in. Was your mother still alive then? She was, wasn't she? Uh, no, no. She passed away in 2002. Oh, that's a So pity. she never got to see that. But that she, must have um, been a bit of a blow. It was, but she only lived for 65 years, unfortunately. She had a really tough life and she was, uh, uh, sometimes when people say, what, did she die of? Really, she was just spent. Right. She was just done. Exhausted. And she had various rheumatoid arthritis, but then that led to a whole range of other health ailments as well. But uh, she did get to see my son, who was born in December 2000. Right. Uh, So that to me is, you know, pretty, pretty important. Uh, that she got to see that. So she never got to see me be a minister, but she did get to see me go into into Parliament. That was uh, a big deal. I, I took her to my first speech, of course, and she um, was there in the front row of the gallery and I, I couldn't, I looked up once and then couldn't look up again. Right. Uh, because she was just, she just cried the, the <laughs> enti- for the entire time of my speech. Of so it was proud. a, uh, it was a great achievement for her. I think one of the other things that might have actually drawn us together is that you know I lost my father very young, when I was twenty, and uh, he was only fifty nine, and of course you had a, 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 I wouldn't say it's a tragic story, but you grew up believing that your father had been killed, yeah, in a car accident, and then. It must have been quite miraculous for you when you discovered that he actually still lived in Italy. And Amanda Vanstone, of all people, actually helped you. Assisted, yeah. To connect with him. No, it was extraordinary. I, um, my short version, you know, my mother travelled overseas, met my father. Uh, they had a relationship. She told him that she was uh, pregnant and uh, he told her that he was betrothed to someone from uh, the town in Italy where he was from. So she returned home and uh, had me, had made the courageous decision uh, to keep me. We're glad she uh, did. She was, uh, I was supposed to be adopted out and there was going to be a neat story of her husband had died right. um, and uh, she lost the baby due to the trauma. Right. Um, which is not uncommon that particularly, and she was a very strong Catholic, and to keep the what was then seen as the uh, the honour, if you like, of the family, uh, that would be a neat story. But, of course, the, the nuns at the hospital uh, knew that mum wasn't the sort of person who'd ever want to give up their child, so they brought me into her, which right. the practice was, of course, a whole lot of mothers never got to see their newborn. No. And once she held me, she wasn't going to give me up. And so uh, that uh, that happened. She kept me, but some of the story stayed, which was that she'd married and he'd died in a, a car accident. And she told me when I was a teenager, and I didn't really look for him heavily until after she had died in 2002. And then there was a particular date of uh, being at Rookwood Cemetery uh, with my son, and he was like, you know, where's your daddy? Right. And it really struck me that we needed to do Find something. Mm. And so Amanda Vanstone was about to be appointed to the ambassador's position, and she was certainly very helpful. 
and it was really just uh, a luck. People need to read the book by Karen Middleton <laughs> uh, if you want the full story, but it was fantastic to be able to find uh, him, which I did mm. in December 2009. Uh, he died in January of 2014, right. which is why after that, only after that, I think I might have told you the story mm. confidentially. You did. But after that, I felt like we could tell the story without anyone's being put in an uncomfortable yeah. position. He had married the woman who he was betrothed to and... Uh, had another family. Had another family and mm. I got to meet, I still have contact with my half-brother and half-sister and nephews and nieces uh, through social media. They've been doing it pretty tough in Italy yeah, over COVID. But it was very important for me, I think, for people to know where you're from. And it was always a bit uncomfortable um, when people with a name like Albanese and they say, uh, where are you from? I represent Leichhardt and Haberfield, mm. a whole mm. lot of Italian community. And you couldn't really, I used to say Naples because I didn't know. Right. Um, as it was as Balletta in um, in Puglia, right? Uh, but I couldn't really say I don't know. Isn't really an acceptable Puglia is the heel answer. It the is heel. the heel. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a a little fishing village, a lovely old part of the town. The third crusades left from the fort. Yes, and th- there. that wasn't our best part of our history <laughs> no, in the Catholic Church. Not there. at all. <laughs> the old Crusades. Look, there's so much we could have talked about, but we've got to let you go because you're the leader of the opposition and you've got things to do. I, I do. don't want to wish you luck for the next election, but I wish you luck in your life generally. Thank you. That's, and, uh, that, that is the most I could ask for, Christopher. <laughs> as as a, a loyal liberal that you are, and of course I'm a... a Loyal, true believer in yeah. uh, in the Labor Party. You know, I never crossed the floor once in my entire political career, despite the fact that I often disagree with things that the government was up to. Not that my government, the Howard government, when I was a young backbencher, but I never crossed the floor because I think if I wasn't a liberal, I wouldn't be here. You know, the team is everything. Well, three great faiths I was raised with: uh, the Catholic Church, the Australian Labor Party, and of course South Sydney. You should have stuck with the first one. (laughs) On that note, thank you. Cheers. Pine Time was presented by me, Christopher Pine. Audio production by Darcy Thompson, produced by Matt Dwyer and the ever-patient executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. (laughs) 